Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelik. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelik. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Eva Medelek, and I am super excited to have as a guest for today's episode, the Reverend Dr. Terrilyn Curry Avery. Now, Dr. TLC, as she's known, is a pastologist, which means an ordained minister and licensed psychologist, TEDx speaker and author who invites people into transformation through the journey of sacred intelligence tapping into one's internal source in order to make intelligent choices that manifest the good of humanity. Oh, Lord, do we need to learn how to make intelligent choices for the good of humanity? Oh, my goodness. So she helps leaders discover how their sphere of influence can change the status quo and dismantle racism. She's also the author of Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out, and Sacred Intelligence the essence of sacred, selfish, and shared relationships. So welcome to the show, Dr. Tara Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to get into some of this thing because, oh my goodness, when I hear sacred intelligence, I get really excited that everybody needs this. But before we get into what you do, let's talk about a little bit about who you are. Who is Dr. TLC? You know, honestly, the best way I can answer that is to really say I am love because that's how I live my life from this place of deep love, because I believe that I'm loved by something greater than myself, some the sacred, you know, and that's what I want to emanate in the world. So no matter what is going on, the way I approach Uh, dealing with racism, all of it. I want to come from this place of love. And I don't ever want to forget that. But uh, in addition to that, I'm uh, the mom of two uh, brilliant young ladies that I just loved pieces. One who's just finished college and the other one who's a rising uh, junior. So uh, that's just a little bit of who I am. I'm so much more than all of that. Well, congratulations on your daughter graduating. I know that that's a big deal. I remember being in that phase myself and super excited. And especially when the last one graduated, I was like, oh, my God. I know. I I wasn't I wasn't even prepared for like this whole financial piece of it. But we're not here to talk about that today. But I was like, woohoo, she has a job. So I was like, it's pleasant. Such such a good feeling. I, I never experience that that dread of empty nesting because you know I had gotten me a puppy when the last when the last one graduated like I already replaced her before she moved out of the house (laughs) but so I really want to dive into sacred intelligence with you explain to our listeners what sacred intelligence actually is okay so sacred intelligence comes from my love and my passion of what I do I am a clinical psychologist, licensed psychologist, and an ordained minister. So when I started my business, really a dear friend of mine and who uh, was coaching me at the time, she came up with the title Sacred Intelligence for my practice. 
And then I really started to think more deeply about what does it mean to have sacred intelligence? And for me, it is about tapping into that divine part of us, that divine wisdom that helps us to make choices that are going to manifest our greatness while simultaneously helping other folks to manifest their greatness. Because our sacred intelligence would never, ever guide us to do anything that's going to be harmful to other people. So it's really about just being guided by something greater than ourselves. As I hear you say that, I wonder about the intelligence of the people who are being guided to harm people today. Mm -hmm. And where... Where do you think in all your years of experience as a licensed clinical psychologist and a pastor, where do you think that is coming from? Because, well, especially in the last two years, there's been an uptick, but this has been um, historically in society that there are a set of people that are intent on harming other people to the point of mass harm. Right. And so it's really interesting because I started this conversation saying I am love. And I believe that each of us, if we only understood that we're divinely created and loved unconditionally, there wouldn't be this hatred for other people. There wouldn't be this intent to harm other people. Now, I know that this is a hard concept for people because when I'm uh, working with people, let's say at church, when I'm having Bible study and I say to people, we, each of us has a bit of God in us. Each of us have, has a bit of divinity. And they look at me like I have two heads and they'll go pastor. I'm not really sure about that because what about X, Y, and Z? And I will say, I believe that we all came from that place. But what I think happens, Eva, is that people forget that. And I can tell you from the people that I've seen in therapy, the people that I minister to, we forget that we're held in this supreme love and we get to this place of competitiveness. We get to where we believe the lies that we've been told. And so I believe that those people who are out there who want to harm me, who want to do evil to me, particularly because of the color of my skin, they operate from a place of fear and not love. And really that's it. If you, if you just think about, all the times when people want to hurt you, there's something about you that they fear and they're worried that you're going to take something. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want to challenge you just a little bit because I'm having trouble seeing clearly whether they forgot that they came for love or if they ever knew, Mm. really knew that they came from love based on maybe some of their earlier life experiences. So we're actually talking about the same thing because when I say forgot, I believe that we had a conversation with our maker before we ever got here. And when I say forgot, we forgot the conversation. We forgot the contract that we had with our maker before we ever entered into this earthly realm. Because I believe, now see, this is getting off on a whole different thing, but I believe we we, we choose. We choose to come here and to have our experiences, right? That's my belief that that happens. But even if you don't choose to believe that we made a choice to come here, I still believe that divine wisdom 
whispers in our ears when we are being formed and shaped in our mother's wombs, reminding us of who we are. So when I say forgot, we forgot that conversation. And then when we enter into this place, many of us don't have those loving experiences. You see, I come from a place where I'm very fortunate. I'm the youngest of 10. And honestly, so can we say hashtag spoiled? Spoiled? (laughs) And, And I can honestly say, I don't know what it feels like not to be loved. And I believe that most of my family members can say that because of the type of family that we were raised in. Does that mean we had a perfect family? No. Does that mean that some of us aren't crazy? No. Uh, you know, and I could be included in that. So I'm not trying to call anybody out. But what I'm saying is we always know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know if anything happens to me, my family will be there just like that. And that feels wonderful. And because I know that, because they reinforce that place of love, that divine love in my life, I don't have to hate other people. I don't have to walk around in fear. I can I can see people for who they are. I can have compassion. I can have pity, even when their intent is to harm me. Now, does that mean it's easy? No, no, and no. There are times that, <laughs> you know, I have to bring myself back to, okay, sister, come back to the place of love. Because sometimes when the ego gets in the way, our immediate response is, oh, no, you didn't just call me that, right? And we well, want what, I, what I'm hearing you say, though, and on all that, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, is you had the experience of being raised in a family that reminded you on a consistent basis yes. that you were loved mm-hmm. and came from love. Mm-hmm. Because we all come into this world without the greatest of memory. We are learning from the experiences of the environment we grow up in. And so when you, when you say we forgot, basically what I, what, how I interpret that to mean is that we didn't lay, some of us didn't land in a family that reminded us. Exactly. I am saying that. And I'm saying the big, The forgetting takes place between the leaving this place of divine love and entering into this earthly place, right? And so some of us have some traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. Some of us have horrible experiences. But what I do know for a fact, because of the work that I've done with so many people over the years, we can choose to return back to that place of love. It may not be easy. But when we invest in doing the work, and, and, and I have one friend who hates when I say work, but I'll say <laughs> it's homework. It's reminding us of our home, something greater than this, right? Oh, well, that's a nice way to put it. Homework. Yeah. 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 Bring us like, back to the beginning where we exactly, started. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I know from the work that I've done as a psychologist, when people return back to that place whole different being because they operate from a place of love and not fear. So is that what sacred intelligence helps us do? I mean, what problems do people come to you maybe outside of your um, 
pastoral experiences and, and role in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the main struggle or challenge that you are dealing with as a pastologist, if you will, that combination mm-hmm. of both of them? So it, not loving yourself, okay. not knowing how to be loved, not knowing how to extend love. It ultimately, it boils down to people not knowing who they are and not feeling good about themselves. So I want to break down this idea of sacred intelligence just a little bit more, because in my first book, I talk about sacred intelligence being the essence of our sacred, selfish, and shared relationships. Now, what does that mean? First, connecting with that sacred source, whatever that is, it's not about proselytizing, saying a person has to be in, believe in God or any of that, but it's about learning how to spend time in that sacred place, in that quiet place. It may be taking a walk in, in nature. It could be any of that, right? But it's about finding time to connect with that sacredness that really guides your everyday movements. That's one thing. Then the selfish piece is really about examining yourself, learning how to set boundaries with other people. Because again, when we don't set boundaries with other people, we're not loving ourselves, right? Learning how to clean toxic people out of your life, learning how to deal with those issues that you have going on that you think define you, but you have the ability to choose to show up a different way. Right. And so that's what the selfish piece is. And then the shared piece is now, how do we form better relationships with other folks? So when I see people in therapy and I do more coaching now than therapy, but when I see people in therapy, it really boils down to them not feeling good about who they are, second guessing who they are. It could be because of some past trauma that they've experienced. It could be something that's going on with them currently, but when you know who you are and when you can accept that you come from this place of love and that you are divinely created, it changes your attitude about things. It doesn't mean that you don't ever need a therapist. It just means that you don't walk through life with this anger and hostility and feeling less than. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, the people who do seek out your services are experiencing, um, well, let me just ask you to clarify. I'm trying to put this in the right words. What would I need to be experiencing for me to say, I need to work with Dr. Tara Lynn? So I want to just, I want to say I've had the range of people. Okay. I've had people who are depressed. I've had people who are anxious. I've had people who are experiencing everyday stress in their life with work. And they just need someone to talk to, to come and say, help me to get through that. So I, I, I do want to okay. just put that out there. It doesn't mean that they've had to have some awful experience, but mm-hmm. I've also had the people who are dealing with marital issues people who are dealing with an inability to form relationships. And again, those people who don't feel good about themselves, right? And they're ready to feel good about themselves. And they're ready to feel good about themselves. So they come to therapy for, for, you know, just your everyday situations, they will come to therapy for. But because of the people I've worked with in the past, many of them have had some sort of traumatic experience because, Life is not always pleasant. 
You got that right. You mm-hmm. got that right. And- I mean, and people will come for infidelity, things like that. I mean, they'll come because their child has been taken away by the Department of Children and Families. I mean, it, I've been doing this, Eva, for, I don't know, 25 years or so. So it's it's the gamut of people who come to me. But as you move into coaching, the, the coaching therapy model, because you, you've got experience in both realms, um, I would imagine that some of the, the problems are a little bit more um, focused, if you will, the people who are, be, are ready to move from where they are to the vision mm. to where they see they want to be. Mm. Let's take a short break now. Because this has just been a really fascinating conversation for me, because when we come back, I really want to talk about um, go a little bit more into the fears and the wounding of the past mm-hmm. and how that manifests in our lives today. Because you and I have talked about wounds of religion. We've got other traumatic wounds uh, that we deal with in general in society. So. Let's go a little bit deeper in that, into that after we take this short break. So stay with us, guys. We, we will be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. We're on Alexa smart speakers and connected devices. Hey Alexa, play Being Here podcast on Apple Podcasts. Try it now. <laughs> connect with us and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. A peaceful life is something most people only ever dream of, but can never achieve. Using tools from ancient wisdom can help you achieve that peace. Listen to the Peace Bridge Talk Show on the Voice America Influencers Channel to learn what those tools are and how to implement them. The Peace Bridge Talk Show, hosted by Amrita Kailas, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. 
Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Reverend Dr. TLC, an ordained minister and psychologist, also known as a pastologist. And we are talking about sacred intelligence. So, Carolyn, it's fair to say, I think, that most of us, the majority of us humans, are walking around wounded. We are <laughs> the walking wounded, if you would. Um, And there's so many causes of these wounds. Like you mentioned before, there's trauma. And I think I had said before the break, there are religious wounds that, you know, you talk about love so much. And I remember early on, you know, my experiences in church and religion, it felt like the love was conditional on us being good, even though the message said God loved Mm-hmm. everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then some, some religions, organized religions are a little bit harder on that than others. So we all, we all have stuff, right? Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? How are you seeing these wounds? I'm going to say this, right? Because it's such a, a, a hot topic. How are you seeing these wounds of religion and trauma showing up today? So it's very interesting when we, because Eva, actually one of my passions before I wrote my latest book on dismantling racism, I actually was committed to working on the wounds of religion. And I believed that the reason why I was called to become a pastor was because I needed to be able to help those people who had been wounded by religion. So when you were asking me about why people show up, inherently it still is because they don't believe that they are loved unconditionally and divinely created. And for me as a pastor, I think that's the most important message to send out to people because what we do as a church, what we do as a religion, and I can say this, having been born and raised in the church and a part of a religious institution is that we do tell people, if you behave in this way, if you love in this way, if you think in this way, God is going to punish you. God doesn't like you for showing up this way. And, and one of the things that I, I want to say hate, I strongly dislike is when people use the phrase, uh, they will say, love the sinner, hate the sin. Because what they're doing in that moment is that they're comparing what they do to what someone else does. So again, there's this comparison. You make the other person or you don't make them. They choose because I believe we choose our feelings too. They begin to feel less than and they don't feel loved because we're believing in religion doctrine as opposed to believing in the divine love of God. And that is absolutely what I preach from my pulpit is always about God's love. And that's how we ought to show up. So for me, when I was um, still doing more therapy practice, I'll tell you some of the wounds I saw wounds where people uh, were extremely depressed because they believed in, well, not believed because they loved people who were of the same sex. 
and so depressed that they wanted to kill themselves. And I remember one person in particular I was talking to, and I said, why don't you just come out of the closet? And they said, because if just one person said something negative and said, like, like, like I was going to go to hell or something like that, I think I would just kill myself. And that put me in a dilemma because here I am as a therapist here to help you. And I'm also a pastor and I'm here to help you, but I can't push anybody to the point of coming out of the closet, no matter what the research says around just depression and our cortisol levels and all of that, right? But trying to talk to this person about loving themselves because the world and religion said, you're going to go to hell and there's something wrong with you. So I saw people dealing with that. I saw. Well, let me just just say one thing. Those um, that belief system is planted at such an early age that the roots are so deep. Even though rationally and intelligently, we know that they are invalid. The wounds are so deep. The roots are so deep. It's taken such a stronghold on those of us who have religious wounds that it's really hard. You know, you may pull up the, what is it? The, the little, um, those little weeds, dandelions. That's the yes. one. You may pull up the dandelion and it may not show for a while, but wait a few months, years, and you've got a new dandelion coming up because you mm. just can't root it out. And no matter how much, you know, that, you know, there's still that tinge of, guilt that you've disappointed your mother, your father, your grandmother, God is watching. What if he is upset? What if he isn't? What if they were right? What if they were wrong? There's so, it's so deep. How does it keep us? And I'll say us because we all have a little something in us, I would imagine, unless you were the baby in Dr. Tara Lynn's family and just got spoiled (laughs) rotten. Um, How does it keep us from living our best lives fully and authentically? Well, I mean, but think about this. Think about a religious wound of feeling like you're less than and feeling like you're judged. Anything you do, you're going to feel like you're judged. You're going to feel like you're not good enough. It messes with your psyche so much. I mean, look, that was only one experience. I had people coming in talking about being molested by the pastor. I had people coming in talking about the spiritual abuse from a pastor where they are sitting in the uh, congregation and the pastor is pointing to them, telling people don't talk to them. I mean, I have heard the gamut. So if you're in a situation where, where you're supposed to feel love and where you know that you came from something greater than out here in this universe, but the people who are supposed to love you, the, the spiritual guide who is supposed to direct you, who has some honor, because people think that, I don't know, we ministers have some special power as it relates to that. They believe what you tell them. And so when they go out and they enter into the world, they're unsure of themselves. They engage in behavior that's destructive to them. They will never quite measure up because it's a double message. On the one hand, you're telling people to go out and be and do whatever it is that you want to do. But on the other hand, you're saying, God, it's not going to be pleased with you. So when you mess up, when there's some 
something that you don't succeed with, you'll think, oh, that's God punishing me. Now, I do want to be fair, though, to say this. Not all religion is bad. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I would never say that. And I do think that there are great things about being connected with a faith community. But if you are in a faith community that ever tells you that God's love is conditional, you're in the wrong faith community. What's the connection between these wounds of our past, whether it's um, abuse, trauma, and uh, or religion, and the I'm hesitant to say uptick of violence because I've been doing a lot of research, uh, you know, of earlier violence, especially racial violence and terrorism back in the day. So it was really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's bad now, but it was really bad with right. the racial terror lynchings and stuff like that. But even if we did go into the, the, the early part of the century or the last century, what is that connection between our wounds and the violence that we witnessed today. So it's interesting because I think my, so my next book will be tying in wounds of religion and racism, actually, because the history now, while I would love to go back and talk about all of those things that I just talked to you about, because I'm looking at racism now, if we look at religion and racism, they're deeply tied together. So if we think about, I want us to think about historically about racism and terrorism in this country. If you think about the people who came over, the pilgrims who came over and performed genocide on First Nation people, what they used to do to them is that they would take them and put them in their Christian schools. They would strip them of their language. They would cut their hair. They would make them wear their colonized clothing and tell them that they were savages and less than. That's using religion as terrorism. If you look at the ways in which religion was used to enslave us, do you know that there was a Bible that was specifically for enslaved people? And I say enslaved because we were not slaves. Slaves dehumanize you. But to say enslaved means that someone else was responsible for torturing you. And so what they did was they used scripture to support what they did. In my own tradition as a Presbyterian, I know that the Presbyterian church was split over slavery. There was a Presbyterian pastor who left his pulpit to go watch a luncheon and then come back and continue his sermon. So when you talk about the connection, so now what does that have to do with today? What it does today is People still use antiquated ways of understanding biblical texts to terrorize us and to keep us in our place. And that's whether we're women or whether we're people of color. There are people who vehemently believe when they say make America great again, and they mean to put Black people back in their place, these are even some evangelical people who truly believe what they're saying. They don't understand that they're talking out of two sides of their heads to one message. You're talking about, you know, Jesus's love, but yet you're talking, you you don't have a problem with seeing the ways in which folks of color are being terrorized. 
You don't understand that what happened on January 6th was very different than people protesting the murder of black and brown people. So we continue to use those texts in ways that separate us. And I'm going to say this, and I know it's going to be controversial, but this is something that I say when I'm preaching anyway. If you think about Christianity, it's a separatist religion to begin with. Now, I believe in Christianity, but when you talk about God loving one group of people more than God loved another group of people, and you don't understand the context of that, you're already separating people, are you not? So you're going to get some calls on that. I'm sure even <laughs> I welcome those calls and I welcome those conversations. Well, it's funny you said that because I did write an, uh, an article on LinkedIn called Jesus and the Klan mm-hmm. because they held their meetings in church. They were up there with the pastor, you know, and all the members were. What do they burn? Yeah. But they burned a cross. Exactly. There you go. There you go. Um, before we go to break, I want to uh, just uh, introduce your book. You know, you authored the book, Dismantling Racism, that you've referred to um, uh, a little bit as we were talking. And I want to talk about that a little bit more when we come back from the, the break. But you've been in this work of dismantling racism for a long time. This mm-hmm. is not your first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Why write this book now? So the long and short of it is during COVID, I actually was preaching on faith. And I was going to write a book on the wounds of religion. But as I began to interview people for my avatar, so to speak, for my ideal sort of client, this issue of faith kept coming up. And a, and a dear colleague of, the, of ours actually said, um, Terrell, what are some of the themes? And when I told him, and he's not a religious person at all, he said, you should write a book on faith. And then George Floyd was murdered. And I knew that faith, had to be with how do we dismantle racism? So it's not a religious book, but how do we have the faith that dismantling racism is actually possible? How do we have the faith in ourselves that we can do the work that's required to dismantle racism? So the book is really about our sacred intelligence journey of faith, tapping into our sacred selves, our selfish selves, and our shared relationships. Do you you think dismantling racism is possible? I absolutely think it's possible. I would not be doing this work if I didn't. And here's the thing, whether I think it's possible in my lifetime, it is necessary for my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren. It's necessary for my, my children because I know I make a difference in their lives. And so I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep moving forward to dismantle racism. Well, you are a woman of great faith. I've got to hand you that. Let's, let's take a short break, everyone, because there's, there's a lot to digest in this. And we, we do have time to dive into this a little bit more. And so when we, when we do come back, I want to talk about your personal experience with hate crimes and racism. And as a woman of great faith that this can be dismantled at some point a thousand years from now or more. <laughs> That's just me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really want to share some of your personal experiences with that. So stick with us, but everyone will be right back. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. If you feel stuck, exhausted, or just unsure of how to handle everything at once that life is throwing your way, you'll want to listen to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most with Eva Medelec. Eva and her guests will help you learn to focus on the most important priorities in your life so you can handle them one at a time instead of being constantly overwhelmed. What's Important Now, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. All right, everybody, we are back in a really powerful discussion with Reverend Dr. Terrilyn Curry Avery, or Dr. TLC, as she likes to be known. So, Dr. TLC, you're the pastor of a church, and your church was a victim of a hate crime. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. So, in December of 2020, while I'm in the midst of writing this book on dismantling racism, I awaken to this email message where someone is saying, I saw on the news where your church was burned down. And um, I'm really sorry about that. And my first reaction was, my church wasn't burned down. What are you talking about? And about a half an hour later, I get a call. This is pastor, the church is on fire. So to say the least, it was devastating to think about your place of worship, the place where you go and gather, where you can just get a reprieve from the week. That sacred place is being destroyed. And then to arrive and learn that this was not the first time 
This was actually the third time that this person had attempted to burn down the church. Now, why this church? Because the church's name is Martin Luther King. So there's no doubt about it that it is a church that's predominantly Black or African-American. You can guess at the other churches, but you don't even have to know, you know, anything about the church but the name, and you know that it's Black. And I can't go into too much details about it because it hasn't gone to trial, but the person has been charged uh, as a hate crime because any time in this country that you do something and it's religious-based, if you destroy it, it's a hate crime. However, he specifically, and you can find this on the Department of Justice's webpage, specifically doesn't like Black people and Mexican people, right? May I ask how old the alleged I don't know the answer to that, but I would say if I looked from maybe 30-ish, 40-ish, but but get this. This is how powerful racism is because he's not even from this country. <laughs> and so even people- White bodies. Other, yes. So even people from other countries, they come here and they learn pretty quickly, hate the Blacks. Yeah. I mean, it's right. white skin privilege, you know, right. you, you're, you may not be Caucasian, you know, if you will, but you do have skin color privilege in That's that, right. um, in that race. So That's how right. is your congregation doing now? You know what? My congregation follows, I believe my lead in the sense that I am always about love and I'm about, you're not going to stop us. And they come from that as well themselves, but it makes a difference how I lead any leader. And this is why it's important for transformational leaders out here to stand up because there are always people willing to, 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 to be guided by you and they're looking to you to lead them. So one of the things that I have been clear about from day one is that we don't operate from a place of hate and that we will pray for that individual too. Now, here's the thing that I want people to also understand because they always think black people need to rush to the forgiveness piece and rush to like kumbaya. That doesn't mean that he shouldn't be held accountable for what he did. Now, I want to go back to something that you asked before in terms of this surgence of uh, hate crimes. This was just eight days before the insurrection. So you can see in this country, when we place one group above the other, it has a ripple effect. He never made it to Washington, D.C., but he didn't have to. He could come to our area and he could burn the church down. Now, I want to be fair in saying that people were extremely hurt. This was their church for years, their precious church for years. And I even had one person say, I want to know, what did I do? Why is my body, why is my skin color such that you hate me just by looking at my skin color? But fortunately, you have a psychologist as a pastor. And I quickly (laughs) said, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with that person, their fears and their hatred. And so we move on from that place. And that's where we're going to continue to do. And our faith our belief 
that we also serve a mighty God and that God can work a good thing, even out of negative things. That's what I preach. And that's what we move towards. Recently, we've had um, a set of young men, seemingly between the ages of 18 and 22, carry out a lot of mass shootings, if you will, and gun Mm -hmm. violence. And, you know, even when we talk about um, uh, hate crimes in the church, the, the guy that that went into the black church and in uh, in their prayer meeting, their Bible study, and and shot all of those people. The the guy that went into the the grocery store in Buffalo, New York. These have all been young men, mm-hmm. eighteen to twenty two. Mm-hmm. What do you think is happening in their minds? So, and even if you think about unite the right, you know when they they were marching down in Virginia, right? Those were very young men. What's happening in their minds is is that folks are perpetuating this idea of fear that the Blacks, the Mexicans, the this, the that, they're taking away what's rightfully yours. White people actually grow up with this idea of this, this is mine. This is my right. That's why we say make America great again. This is my right to have it. So they're feeling... Yes, they're feeling threatened. And if you indoctrinate people, they believe it. We believe sometimes as as women, the man should be the head of the household. You know, it's because we've been indoctrinated in that way. And so these are young, impressionable minds. And then you couple that with people who already have some mental health challenges. Not every person with mental health challenges goes up and shoot up, shoot up a place. But if you have people who are already feeling isolated, alone, depressed, feeling like they're not connected with anything, and then you preach this hate crime, you don't have to do your own dirt because what you're doing is the ground is fertile for you to put messages in their heads that this is who, these are the people you should hate. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to um, a YouTube interview of Jane Elliott that I think was about three years ago, especially after Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court of the Klan, uh, excuse me, the Supreme Court of the United States. <laughs> Ask me how I really feel. And um, what was interesting, what she said about that, it was apparently, I think it was in 1987, and I, and I did download the book. There was a book um, by Ben Wattenberg, who was a um, consultant, if you will, or lawyer for a lot of the conservative presidents and political people. And he wrote a book called The Birth Dearth. Mm. Have you heard of that book? I've not read it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, I actually, it's hard, you know, it's hard to find. It's not in print anymore, but I was able to download a, a copy of it. So I'm going to be reading it on, on a flight. And um <clears throat> What she said was very interesting is the fear that the white population is going to be outnumbered numerically by black and brown and immigrants. And so they're looking for ways to increase, you know, white births, if you will. And that is the main catalyst of overturning Roe v. Wade, because 60 percent of abortions are from white mothers. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And the fear is 
And I think because of the evil and the terrorism and the violence and the hatred that has been perpetrated on black and brown people throughout the annals of history, the fear is that when the population that you've oppressed and terrorized becomes greater numerically than your population, there's a huge fear of retribution. And that's not my experience of black people ever. You know, we just want to matter. Like all we've been begging for is to matter and have an equal and fair share. We're not fighting for retribution at all. Maybe some reparations would be nice, but there's no retribution in that at all. And I find it very interesting that a lot of these these hate groups, well, it's something I want to point out. And the evangelical Christians of these hate groups are into having all these babies and really personally replenishing the earth with white babies. And these, these impressionable young men are, are in that fear too. They don't want the white race to be outnumbered by immigrants, black, brown skinned people. Hmm. Well, again, you can believe anything, right? And so if people are sending a message to you, you will begin to believe it. It's especially your leaders because you talk about leadership. That's right. You will will follow your leaders. And if your leaders are touting these messages, yes. And if, quite frankly, if you're born and you're born knowing that you're privileged, it's very early on. You learn who's privileged and who's the doll test. Exactly. And so by learning that you're in that privileged group, it doesn't take much to instill fear because we live in a place of scarcity rather than abundance. abundance. And here's the sad part of all of it is that those in power use other white people who are not in power to do their deeds sometimes and they don't care any more about them than they do about me. But there's the illusion that. They well, yeah, do. there's the classism there that that comes into play with exactly with, with privilege for sure. Exactly. So exactly. what is our responsibility? And when I say our, I mean all of us as human beings mm. for mm. dismantling racism. So, of course, I think our responsibility is to get involved. And I know it's disheartening. I know it's difficult to figure out what it is that we need to do. But I think that everyone, my my message is, is what Arthur Ashe says, is start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. Because we're all born for such a time as this. And there's something amazing about who we are as an individual that will allow us to contribute to this discussion on dismantling racism and really to being active in dismantling racism. So we just have to wake up and start being a bit more conscious about the ways racism shows up in our lives. How? Well, I think it starts with a a commitment. I think it starts with saying, do I want to first dismantle racism? Because here's one of the things, and I'll say this really quickly. After George Floyd was murdered, I saw so many white people jumping on the bandwagon saying that they were invested in dismantling racism. And then, of course, we've seen that drop. But I think it starts with saying I'm going to be committed to dismantling racism and I'm going to be committed to my values because racism is not in alignment with most people's values. It's not in alignment with white people's values because 
the first thing that people will say is I'm not racist at all. Yeah. Right. That's we didn't I love everybody. I don't see color. Exactly. I see everything. That and if that is true, it's important for us to take the steps that we need to take to learn what we need to learn about how to dismantle racism, how to have the conversations, what microaggressions are, get involved. You know, I, I, my experience is there's not enough pain for the majority of people who haven't experienced what it feels like to be Mm. judged by the color of your skin on a daily basis, not just once in a while, because you're in Africa, maybe, or something like that. The pain is not strong enough for the commitment to take hold at a certain level that there's consistency Mm. in action. So how can folks get in touch with you and get a copy of your book? They can go to sacredintelligence.com and they can find a copy of the book on dismantling racism. They can also learn more about the courses that I offer on dismantling racism. I actually have one starting September 14th and um, they can actually get a free guide on how to have difficult conversations around dismantling racism. Awesome. Awesome. So take advantage of that. That's um, sacredintelligence.com, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Dr. Terrellyn, I just want to thank you for the work that you do. I know you've been doing it for a long time and the resilience and the commitment that you have to keep doing it. I really, really appreciate it because I be honest with you, I waver sometimes. I feel like a wheel stuck in the mud (laughs) and I have to re-energize each and every time. And I also want to take a moment to thank all of you who are listening today for for choosing to spend your time with us to to listen to this very powerful discussion. Hopefully you've learned something today that'll help you get clear on what matters most to you and what you can be committed to moving forward. And I hope you will find the time to join us again next week. And if you like the show, Please subscribe, share the show with your friends, give us a lovely review. We would appreciate that. And as usual, I want to leave you with a quote. This one is from Mitch Album, The Timekeeper. With endless time, nothing is special. With no loss or sacrifice, we can't appreciate what we have. So thank you for joining in, everyone. And until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.